Hey guys, real quick, before we get started, I have a small request. If you've been blessed by our content and you like this show, would you take just a brief moment and leave us a five-star review? This is quite possibly the most effective thing that you can do to ensure that this content gets out to as many people as possible. Thanks. Hi, welcome to another episode of Theology Applied. I'm your host, Pastor Joel Webin with Right Response Ministries. In this episode of Theology Applied, I am privileged to be joined by Gary DeMar from American Vision. And one of the things that we talk about pretty much exclusively, we definitely get into multiple different arenas, but the biggest focus and theme for this episode is the rapture. There are a lot of terrible ideas in the church today about the rapture, and Gary, I think, does a wonderful job setting us straight. The main text that we focus on is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Tune in now. Big news. Really big news. Our next Right Response Conference is in the works. We've got a number of things already lined up and organized. This is what we've got so far. The whole conference, three days long, on postmillennialism and theonomy. And the speakers, Dr. James White, Dr. Joseph Boot, Gary DeMar, and of course, yours truly, Pastor Joel Webin. We've got a great lineup. We've got great topics. If you want to find out dates and location and registration and anything else, go and visit our website, rightresponseconference.com, rightresponseconference.com. Applying God's Word to every aspect of life. This is Theology Applied. All right, welcome to Right Response Ministries. This is Theology Applied. I'm your host, Pastor Joel Webin, and I am very privileged to have once again Gary DeMar on our show. Gary, welcome to the show, and let our listeners know just a little bit about you. Well, I live in Marietta, Georgia. I've been uh, working at American Vision since probably 1981, so I've been there for over 42 years. I went to Western Michigan University. Uh, I'm a graduate of Reformed Theological Seminary uh, out of Jackson, Mississippi. And uh, typically my job is essentially researching and writing on worldview issues. Great. Well, we're glad to have you back on the show. Last time we talked about Postmillennialism, and I remember one of the things that was so helpful. I think I asked you, like, well, what what are one of the texts in the Bible that was uh, convincing for you? You know, that that really pushed you over the edge into a postmillennial eschatology. And you said, well, I, I mean, really, the whole Bible. And you're like, let's just pick one text. And we looked at Second Timothy chapter three together, and you just worked through the text and showed how. Yeah, this does not say the world is getting worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then Jesus comes back and the church is barely hanging on. And, and it was just, I don't know, it was really helpful for me. It was really helpful for our listeners. And so I wanted to do that with you again today or let you do that on our show and me just kind of ask you questions along the way. Uh, but this time with particularly the rapture and the quintessential text that I always hear people quote, and I know you've handled this text uh, before on your show, but First uh, Thessalonians chapter Four. So you want to walk us through what what is the rapture? What what yeah, well, is the rapture? When's that yeah, happen? That's what you have to do. You have to define what this doctrine right. is, uh, and then you have to then take what this doctrine is and then match it to the texts that people used in order to to uh, you know define or defend what a rapture is. So let's 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 go into what this is first. Okay. And I always ask, I always ask. Uh, Christians questions who believe in, in the so-called rapture, and they'll say, well, it's when Jesus returns to take the church off the earth, if, if they even know that much. 
Mm-hmm. And I said, no, show me where, what passage in the Bible does it, does it say that? And they'll say, well, First Thessalonians chapter 4. Whether they'll say that or not, they'll, they'll, they'll know enough about the passages and so forth that they quote things from, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And then I said, well, on what basis does the rapture exist? How did, how did, the, how did the idea of this rapture take place? And here's where most people have no idea what the rapture is and how they got it. Mm-hmm. If you don't know that, then when you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, you, you, you begin to see none of the elements that define what the rapture is are found in 1 Thess- Thessalonians chapter 4. Because 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 13 through 18, traditionally has been a passage about the second coming, that when Jesus comes at the end of history, right. these events will take place. Uh, and the rapture and the this, this so-called second coming are not the same thing. Hmm. Uh, the, the rapture takes place. There are actually five different rapture positions. There's a pre-tribulational rapture. There's a mid-trib rapture. There's a post-trib rapture. There's a partial rapture. And there's a new one called the, the pre-wrath rapture. Hmm. So five different rapture positions. The most popular version, of course, is the pre-trib rapture. Right. Now, then the next question you have to ask is, what's this, pre, what's this trib thing that you're talking about? Well, it's the it's the tribulation period. And how many years are, are involved in this pre, mid, post, partial, pre-wrath rapture? Hmm. And it all takes place within a seven-year period. And then the next question you have to ask is, well, where did the seven years come from? Right. Daniel, um, right? Wouldn't most people cite Daniel? Yeah, right? it comes out of the book of Daniel. Now, does First Thessalonians 4 mention anything about a seven-year period? No. It doesn't. No, we'll, we'll keep coming back to First Thessalonians 4. So where does the seven years come from? Well, it comes from Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. Now, look, we don't have enough t- time to go through all of Matthew 20, uh, Daniel 9, 24 through 27. Mm. But it's simply this. Daniel 9 begins with Daniel reading the prophet Jeremiah and about the 70 years of captivity. Remember, Daniel, Daniel is in captivity under the Babylonians uh, when um, B- Babylon came up against the southern kingdom, uh, which was Judah and Benjamin, and took them off into captivity at the oh, five, 586 B.C. And they were supposed to be in captivity for 70 years because of the, the Jubilee failure to follow the Jubilee law. Mm-hmm. So Daniel is reading this. By this time, he's probably an old, older man. We don't know how old he was when he came into Babylon, probably maybe a preteen. He's, he's getting close to the 70 years. He's reading the book of Jeremiah, and he says what must, what must be taking place here is the near end of this 70 years. Then another prophecy is given. <clears throat> Excuse me. I have some water here. So another prophecy is, is given about 70 weeks of years, hmm. which ten, turns out to be 490 years, 70 times 7. And almost everybody agrees that the 70 weeks of years is like 400 and 490 years. But what, the, what, the, what those who believe in a rapture teach is that the end of the 69th week of years, the 483 years, the prophecy clock stopped. And that we are now living in something called the church age, which is a parenthesis. 
Right. That is, it was something that was never predicted in the Old Testament. And we have been in this parenthesis for nearly 2,000 years. So the prophecy clock stopped when Israel rejected Jesus as the promised Messiah. Now, I'm giving you their version of this. This right. isn't what I believe that the, the Bible teaches at all. This is their version of it. So the prophecy clock stopped for Israel at the end of the 483rd year. And that means those 70 years kept keep being pushed into the future and is still being pushed into the future. Every second that we're talking right now pushes that the last seven years, the last week of year of seven years hmm. into the future. And what will start the, 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 uh, that 70 years, according to the pre, pre-tribulational rapture view, is that the church is going to be taken off the earth and Jesus is going to deal with Israel again. That is essentially the rapture position. Right. And when I, when I talk to somebody, I'll ask them, where in the Bible does it say that? Right. And they'll say, well, you have to go to Daniel 9. 24 through 27. And they, there they find supposedly the, there's the Antichrist mentioned there. There's a gap between the 69th and the 70th week of, Dan, of Daniel, Daniel's prophecy. Um, there is the um, uh, uh, a rebuilt temple. All of, the, all of the things that you hear about supposedly are, are in that particular passage that the Antichrist makes a covenant with Israel and then breaks the covenant and all that kind of Mm-hmm. And the thing of it is, if you read that passage just straight out, you wouldn't find any of those things in there. There's no mention of an antichrist. There's no mention of an, an antichrist making a covenant with Israel and then breaking it. There's no mention of a gap between the 69th and the 70th week. Um, if there was no gap in Israel, Israel's captivity of 70 years, why all of a sudden is now a gap? at the end of the, the 69th week and the 70th week, and we're now living in this thing called the church age. So the rapture then is, is that supposedly Jesus is going to return sometime unknown to us, uh, and he's going to take the church off the earth so God can deal with Israel again. And then during that seven-year period, you'll have three and a half years of peace, and then the Antichrist will come on the scene. He'll make a deal with Israel uh, then they'll set up the abomination of desolation. Literally all hell will, will, will break loose. Two-thirds of the Jews living in Israel will be slaughtered, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And at the end of that seven years, uh, Jesus returns and then sets up a millennial kingdom, and he reigns on the earth for a thousand years. But here's the thing. There are no verses that, that speak to this. There's no verses that actually lay that out as I did. And there is, I don't know of anybody who's ever come to that position uh, on, on the rapture, no matter what the position is, without being taught that by someone else. Hmm. Uh, you, would, you would never come to that particular position on your own. And this is a doctrine that was pretty much created in the 19th century. So this is a relatively uh, new doctrine. So if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, it says nothing about an antichrist, it says nothing about seven years, it says nothing about the church being taken off the earth, doesn't say anything about it, a deal being made with the Jews, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. None of those things are found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And this is why traditionally this particular passage has been read and interpreted as the second coming of Christ, which is not the same thing as the rapture. Even the you know, dispensationalists that hold this particular route, the rapture position, you know, they see the, the rapture taking place 
before a thousand years, and then Jesus returns after the thousand years. So they even believe that there's something called a second coming after this so-called rapture coming. But all of the all of the elements that I mentioned in, with all this are not specifically mentioned in these scripture passages. Hmm. You have to you have to read a ton of things into the Bible in order to get that particular position. Gotcha. Yep. Well, that's that's what I've come to believe. I've I've taken that view as well. So let, let's talk about first uh, first Thessalonians chapter four. Now that you've kind of set some of the framework with Daniel chapter nine verses twenty four through twenty seven. Um, this this is First Thessalonians chapter four. Um, it, it says, "But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you, you may not grieve as others do who have no hope." I've heard you talk okay. about this before. Yeah, let's go, go right there. Notice yeah. what it says. And look, First Thessalonians four. I've always had issues with First Thessalonians four. Not only on the on the on the rapture side of things. Uh, but just dealing with this as a, a second coming passage. Notice what it says here. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. Now, who are, what, what does that mean? Yeah, I, so it, you've it been super those helpful. Who have, those who, those have, who died. have died. Exactly. Those, it's it's okay. not, we don't want you to be uninformed about when Jesus raptures his people, but it's, you've got loved ones who believed in Christ who died, and right. we want you to be comforted that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Now, remember, the, the Thess- Thessalonica is, th- th- these books, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, if you go back to, I believe it's uh, Acts chapter 17, Paul had a big struggle in Thessalonica. I mean, the Jews were against him from day one. They ran him out of the city. Mm-hmm. He goes to Berea, and if you remember Berea, those in Berea, Search the scriptures. They were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica because they searched the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So the, the, the Thessalonians is written against the backdrop of um, uh, apostate Judaism as well as a Gentile paganism. Because if you if you look at you go to the beginning of First Thessalonians uh, chapter one. Uh, Verse 10, it says, uh, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, that is Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Mm. What is that talking about? Is that talking about something in the distant future? I don't believe so. I believe what you're seeing here is, is that Paul's dealing with the upcoming judgment upon Israel that Jesus describes in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. It's talking about the wrath that is to come. And if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, for you also endured the same sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen, even as they did from the Jews. So here you have two groups here opposing uh, the 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 Christian worldview here, that is uh, unbelieving Jews and at the, and also unbelieving Gentiles, who both, and talking about the Jews, Paul goes on and he writes, who both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins. Mm-hmm. This is the same thing Jesus said in Matthew chapter 23, to the religious leaders of the day, that they would fill up the measure of their sins of their fathers, 
And it's the same thing that Stephen said when he, right before he was going to be executed by Paul and those who were around him. Uh, so both killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out. They are not pleasing to God, but hostile to all men, hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, with the result that they always fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the utmost. So there's something going on here that uh, was reaching a climax that Paul was having to deal with, and he's dealing with that in 1 Thessalonians, and then we get to 2 Thessalonians on the Man of Lawlessness, you'll see this coming up again. So the problem with 1 Thessalonians 4, <clears throat> as referring to the second coming of Christ, is that the dead here is these people are trying to be comforted about the dead. Right. If this is about the second coming, again, this is just questions I'm asking. This is about the second coming. Then these dead people are still dead. That there's 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 still dead people, because this is something that isn't going to take place into, until our future. And yet, every church that I know of teaches that when you die, you go to heaven with Jesus. Hmm. So what is going on here? I think the Apostle Paul here is dealing with the dead of the Old Covenant during this transition period. The question has always been, what happened to all of the people who died before Jesus came? Hmm. And a lot of commentators, a lot of very good commentators, saying that they were, they were raised up or being in the process of being raised up during this transition period. And I think that's what Paul's dealing with here. He's dealing with the dead, our ancestors. What happened to them? And what happened to those people who are, who are dying right now? What happens to them? Where do they go? If, if this is about a, a distant future coming of Jesus, then those dead people are still dead, and no one's comforted until sometime in the distant future. Yet every my, um, my, my 99-year-old mother-in-law just died June, uh, June 15th. Hmm. And we're doing, putting together a memorial service, and I know what the pastor's going to say, that, G, that Jean is with her husband who died 25 years ago. She's with Jesus. That's, that's the comfort. But if you look at this passage and these dead people have not already been raised, then what comfort does anybody have? So something, I think something else is going here, going on here than we traditionally get. It has nothing to do with the rapture. This has got absolutely nothing to do with the rapture. The question is, what does it have to do with? Traditionally, this is a passage about the second coming. I have a very good friend uh, who has been working on this stuff for years. Uh, we went to seminary together, and I talk about him a lot. I can't get him to write on this other than long <laughs> dissertations and emails and messages that he gives. But he says what's, what he thinks is going on here is and it's it's an interesting phrase here. First of all, Paul kinds of kind of includes himself in this. If you look at 14, verse fourteen, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. Now, when is this something that is yet to take place? Well, that doesn't make sense because Christians teach that when you die, you go to heaven to be with Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive. This is why a lot of people think. Paul was talking about him and those who were with him. And remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. That is, these dead saints who have dead throughout, faithful, uh, faithful believers throughout history, they are gonna, 
they're going to be brought up and, and taken to heaven uh, prior to anyone else after this. It says, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Mm. And this is language taken right out of the Old Testament. Now, this is, if you look at Exodus, uh, uh, Exodus chapter 19, then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, my friend says, look, this, what is this air thing? What is that all about? And if you read the New Testament, what's interesting, this seems to be the, the, the dwelling place of Satan and his minions. Uh, he's the prince in the power of the air. And what's taking place here, my well, this name is Kim, what Kim says here is, this is a transition that's taking place. You have Satan that's going to be, uh, you know, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Mm -hmm. uh, Satan's, Satan has been, been uh, despoiled. He has been thrown down. He had, no longer has any, any power. And if you look at Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, uh, uh, again, which is interesting and hard to explain unless you, you know, take some of these things into account. Ephesians chapter 2, and get to this here, my sticky pages here. It says... Um, verse 19, uh, let's see. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These, uh, these, are according, uh, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about to, uh, in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right, at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the, in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here we're seeing here that Jesus is the one is in complete control. He's not, he's not on the throne competing with the throne of Satan here. Satan is a mere creature, has been thrown down, and so forth. And then it goes on and says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. And this is the same thing that you read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, at the beginning of 1 Thessalonians 4. It talks about the, 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 the disobedience of, of the Gentiles. Among them, uh, we all too formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You think, wait a minute, that sounds like we were taken to heaven. Right. But their people are still there. They haven't left earth. This is a positional transition. He says, in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. So, so I think First Thessalonians 4 is dealing with something 
quite different from what the church has taught for all, for, for these many, many years. And, and I look, I know do you believe kind of goes against some, the grain. Do you, no, yeah, I, I get it. I think that's really helpful. One of my specific questions though is with first Corinthians chapter four, do you, so I've heard some guys, some post-millennial guys say, say that, and I like this, you know, but saying that, um, Number one, it's not Jesus whisking people off to another place, but it's more of the idea of, of like the five, the 10 virgins, right? T- uh, five of them are wise and five of them are foolish. And, you know, and the bridegroom is coming to, um, to, to the wedding celebration, the wedding supper, and the, the 10 virgins go out to meet him. But the foolish virgins, those five don't have enough oil for their lamps. And so they, they miss it. But, but the, the five wise uh, virgins that have enough oil, their lamps are lit. They go out of the town to meet the bridegroom. Uh, but not for him to take them to another town, uh, but they're meeting him kind of at the, like out a little bit outside of the town, like at the entrance of the town to be his accompanying party to then escort him back. And so I've heard guys talk about like that we're going to be caught up into the air, uh, but not to be whisked off to another place, but caught up into the air when Jesus appears um, to escort him as his people to accompany him, the king, uh, physically to the earth. Uh, have have you heard that interpretation? I, I have, and I yeah, that is. But there are others who say that this this imagery is is actually the, the fact they use the same passage in, in in the Matthew, I think it's Matthew twenty twenty five, and they use that same image. But they see that as taking place. You see, if you go back to Ephesians, right? You go back right. to Ephesians, and, and and I think this gets back to the whole post millennial thing, right? Um, you know. Jesus's work was finished. And it, what it says here, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That was something that was t- that took place in Paul's day. He was see, he right. saw that as something that had already taken place. And yet he's he's still on earth. No, nobody was taken physically taken to heaven. Right. In order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Which verse and was that? Uh, this is as ver- as Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 seven. and 7. Yeah, I got it. So, in, in, and I think then the, the what you take place in the rest of Ephesians chapter 2, that there's only there's one new man in Christ, the dividing wall has been broken down. See, mm-hmm. everything related to the old covenant has now been um, broken to pieces. And again, my friend Kim says, this kind of reminds you of the fall of Jericho. Jericho walls fell. There was a trumpet blast and there was a shout. And this whole old covenant system, the whole, all the barriers, all the divisions, Jew and Gentile separated. One new man in Christ now becomes a reality. And of course, what you see in Ephesians chapter two is this dividing wall being broken down. Mm-hmm. So I, I just, I think there's more going on here uh, no, I, and, and, and typically get just for for clarity, you're saying so Ephesians two in your assessment, Ephesians two and First uh, Thessalonians chapter four are are two different sides of the same coin. They're two different ways of expressing the same event. 
that's taking place. Yeah, I, I think so. No, and, it, and that would be an event that's so rather than the you know the accompanying Jesus, you know, halfway he's he's halfway here to earth, but he pauses in the clouds, and and the dead in Christ are raised first and go and are caught up in the clouds, and the, and then those living Christians also go, and then we accompany Christ down. That would be a, a reference from the guys that I've heard that uh, that they're still post millennial guys who articulate right. that position, but they're talking about the second coming. But what you're exactly. talking about is is viewing first Thessalonians chapter four, cross-referencing with Ephesians two in, in a preterist position, something that's already occurred and not an 80, 70 judgment kind of thing, but this would be a, right. what the resurrection or Pentecost. Like well, this, this is, this is look the, the, again, the question comes down to the, the dead in Christ will rise first. So the mm-hmm. question is who were they? If you say this is a second coming passage, then okay, these right. people have not been raised yet, right. which is, I haven't, and, and I'm, I'm, you know, one of the reasons I haven't become a lawyer is because I'm always afraid I'm leaving something out of here. Mm. But if if this is talking about the second coming, that means everything we we talk about, when people die, they go to heaven to be with Jesus. Uh, this passage wouldn't wouldn't support that, and this is this is why I think the Seventh Day Adventists. I haven't studied them completely, but they believe in something called soul sleep, and this this would actually. This would actually support the idea of soul sleep if you believe this is a resurrection that has to take place yet. But we don't believe in soul sleep. We believe when you die, to, be, to live as Christ, to die as gain. Right, to be absent not, in the body is yeah. to be present with the Lord. Right, when you die, you don't, you, you don't, you don't fall, stay asleep in the grave. Mm-hmm. You, are with, you are with Jesus. Look, and look, I'm mean, just telling you, this, it's a very controversial uh, position Right. Because yeah. you can't, it you can't question, you can't question these things <laughs> yeah, uh, these right. days. Right. Uh, but, but as I get old, as I get yeah. older, I get a little more wiser, and I I I I, I look at these things and say, I've always had problems with certain passages. I listen to what other people have to say, and my my good friend Kim, I went like I say, I went to the seminary with him. Is as orthodox as they come, uh, but I would put him up against almost anybody in the area of eschatology. Mm-hmm. And I think they would be astounded by all the pieces that he pulls together to show them all of these various connections. Right. Uh, and uh, he's, I, I wish, so, I wish I could get him. I wish I could get him on him. your show. Maybe yeah, that'd I, be awesome. Maybe, maybe I could talk him to get him. Yeah. If show. you ever get him, that'd be awesome. So, so again, I'm just asking, everything you're saying is, is very helpful. But I'm just asking clarifying questions, clarifying questions. I'm thinking, what, what would my audience ask and what do, what do I want to know? So Agreed. with this resurrection piece, so I'm thinking, you haven't explicitly said this yet, or if you did, I missed it, but I'm thinking, based off of what you've said so far, that, that that's maybe at the crucifixion, where I, th- I believe it's John's gospel. Which gospel is it that it says that like when, you know, when, the, when the veil tore and the sky had turned to black and, you know, the... the the Roman soldiers, truly, this was the Son of God, and and it talks, it, it mentions it, and multiple people in the city, dead people, rose from the grave. Is yeah, that in Ma- Matthew twenty seven? Some some people, right? Some people do, in fact, look at that and say these this these were the first fruits. These they might these might have been people who have just recently died, kind of like Lazarus, recently died. And and would you say that 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 maybe Paul I, in First Thessalonians I, four that he's you know I do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep, I don't want you to be sad about your loved ones who trusted, they trusted in Christ the Messiah but they've already passed away, 
Um, we don't grieve as those who have no hope, for since uh, we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, though Jesus, uh, through Jesus, God will bring him uh, with him those who have fallen asleep. And you're saying as Paul's writing this, that it's possible. I know you're not, you're not saying this is dogma, but you're saying it's it's within the, the banner of orthodoxy that it's possible that what Paul is talking about is those who had fallen asleep, who, who were dead in Christ, they've already been raised. And, and maybe that happened at the resurrection is my question. Well, probably, well, I think it would not be because I think Paul was talking about something that is yet to take place in his okay. lifetime because he includes himself, we who right. are alive. Uh, right. So there, there, are different, there are different views of this. Um, uh, if you look, pick up some commentators, it's interesting that they have to deal with this. There are a couple of passages in Peter, um, you know, Jesus leads captive, a host of captives, right. Right. et cetera. There, there's this, it's very it's very unusual language, mm-hmm. uh, but the uh, my, again, Kim would say, that, and others would say as well. Like in in, um, in Matthew chapter twenty four, verse thirty one, where it talks about this gathering, this this synagoguing. That's the word that's actually used there. Uh, twenty four thirty one. It says, then he will send forth his angels, his messengers with a great trumpet, and they will gather together, they will synagogue together, and, uh, and his elect from the four winds from <clears throat> one end of heaven to the other. Hmm. And, and again, some commentator, I know Jim Jordan takes the position that this is dealing with uh, the, these old covenant saints who had died before uh, this whole transition thing was completed and will be now raised, that they are in fact asleep, they will be raised up, and then everybody who dies afterwards immediately goes to heaven to be with, with Jesus. Right. Uh, and it's dealing with this particular tra- this transition period between the, the time of Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension, and the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. I don't know... Hmm. Some have po- pointed this out as related to events leading up to the destruction of Jerusalem in AD 70. Some have said it's earlier than that. I, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. You know, there are just some things I just don't know. And I think there's just a lot of other things that a lot of people don't know on these right. very difficult passages. But people pretend as though it's the clearest thing in the world. Well, they, yeah, because yeah. they'll say, hey, the church has always taught First Thessalonians 4 talks about the second coming of Christ. And okay, okay, fine. Uh, but I think there ought to be at least the ability to look at a passage like this and say, well, maybe let's look right. at this again, well, because I, the, dis- yeah. the dispensations have come along and said, no, 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 this doesn't, this isn't the second coming. Exactly. This is actually the rapture of the church. That's, uh, that's what I was going to say, is it's like, you know, people say, well, the church has always said that this refers to a second coming of Christ. You can't do that, Gary. And your point, what you said was, what I was thinking is like, but the dispensationalists have been doing this yeah. for 150 years. They're not, they don't think it refers to a second coming of Christ. They right. think, well, I mean, technically a second coming, but they believe that there's like three or four or five comings of Jesus. Depending yeah, there would be, yeah, there would be a, the, the preacher of rapture, then you would be, you know, and which is, which is interesting that the, those who hold this to be the preacher of rapture, it's supposed to be a silent rapture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet this says with the shout and with the, with right. the, uh, with the trumpet. So it, it, it's, there's one thing this does not teach, and that is a rapture doctrine. It just That's right. does not I teach. Agree. All the elements of the rapture are not in here. And then the question becomes, what about the second coming passage? But if, 
if, if the dead, if the dead in this, if those who are asleep have not been raised yet, then I don't know what comfort this would have been to the, to the Thessalonians or to us today, because those, those people who are asleep are still asleep because this doesn't, this hasn't taken place yet. So, right. Uh, one, one more question real quick. So, all right. So you're a Christian, God forbid you get struck by lightning you, and, you know, not as judgment please. or punishment, but you, you die, you die today to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. You are with the Lord Jesus, but your body has not yet been resurrected. Right, and even with like Lazarus, right, when Jesus raises him from the dead, we should say that that's kind of what's the word that people use a revitalizing, but not a resurrection, right? Because Lazarus died a second time. Then he still he was not it was not a, yeah. a resurrection to his glorified eternal body. And so, right. any Christian that dies in in the Lord um, is going to be with the Lord, but their their body is going to be dead and buried somewhere, lost at sea. You know, the sea will give up their dead. You know, and those, uh, until until the resurrection. Um, do you what do you believe existence is like with the Lord? What, what yeah. do you think that's like? I mean, because we're not Gnostics, we are physical creatures. I heard Carl Truman the other day at a lecture um, say that you know he he was he visited in town, and so I I went and checked it out, and I've you know I've got you know certain things with the colleges and Amy Bird that I'm not a huge fan of, but I love his 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 writings and especially his book, you know, the the rise and triumph of the modern self. And so I went to the yeah, lecture, yeah. brought some of my church along with me. It was a fantastic lecture. And at one moment, he talked about, you know, the issue of transgenderism and this this dysphoric, very um, dystopian, weird view of uh, that you are not your body. And he said, you are your body. You know, the, the transgender yeah. movement is just like, like this isn't me. My The real me is is buried underneath yeah. this, this yeah. male physical body, you know, but, um, and he's like, no, 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 you're, you are not just a soul. You are a body. Um, and, and so there's a deep longing. You'll be satisfied with the Lord when you die. You'll be, there, there'll be joy in his presence and all these different things, but there will be a, a, a craving of sorts, an anticipation, eager awaiting for you to, to, to be fully there, the resurrection yeah, Paul, of the Paul body. Paul talks about a, you will be raised, be raised a spiritual body. Now, what, what yeah, form what is that, that takes, yeah. what form that takes, we don't, we don't know. Is it, akin to Jesus's body. I mean, Jesus, ra Jesus was raised in the self-same body. Uh, the reason for that is he does not undergo corruption. Jesus right. was, was sinless. Right. Uh, so it's his, that was his, his body. I mean, Thomas put his fingers in his side and so forth right. and so right. on. Uh, the, now, Paul talks about a spiritual body. Hmm. So the, the, the body is a real thing, but it has a spiritual dimension to it. So I think Carl Truman is correct. We're not we're not disembodied spirits, but the the type of body that we have is probably going to be different from the the one we have right now. Hmm. Uh, and what form that takes, I don't know. And it sounds know, it'll be better than what we have now, and yet still not the the true upgrade of the spiritual and the physical race. Because there's something it's weird because it's just like I yeah I don't think we're just going to be spirits floating around. I think we're going to have some sort of spiritual body, some kind of bodily presence with the Lord, yeah. and yet we're still going to be waiting for this body. Well, I'll give you a good, a good example is, of this yeah. is uh, on the Mount of Transfiguration, Elijah mm. and Moses show up. Right, right. Well, now, there's a, here, now here's a question for you. How did, how did they know that was Moses and Elijah? Right. 
but physical, they, some kind of there physical was appearance. Some phys, there was a physical form. Now, no one really knew what Moses and Elijah looked like, but right. that's the question for another day. But Moses and Elijah didn't show up as disembodied spirits. There was corp, corporality to them. Right. Uh, and so is that some indication of what that might be? Uh, and so, yeah, you're right. I think Carl Truman, he's, he's spoken spoken at our church a couple of times. In fact, I actually have an autographed copy of his book, so I'll just hmm. throw that on the table for you. Oh, wow. Um, Fancy. But, um, <laughs> but <clears throat> yeah, there, we, have, we will be raised with a spiritual body. We right. have, will have a spiritual body. Yep. Uh, again, it has, it has to be... Uh, and there are all kinds of questions about that. I mean, uh, you know, somebody somebody who was who was born and their body was disfigured and so forth. There's going to be some. It's got to be transformed in some way and right. say, "Hey, look at this." <clears throat> now I have to spend all of eternity with this body. Right, that right. it's going. There's going to have to be some some change to it in some way. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's why Paul uses the phrase spiritual body. I'm not even sure Paul knew what that was. Um, now, Paul said he was, he knew a man. I don't know if he was referring to himself or maybe right, right. the Apostle John who was taken up into the third heaven. And what was that like? Uh, John uh, is, you know, t- taken up as well. What what that was like. You know, oh, by the way, that's supposedly another rapture passage in first in Revelation chapter 4. Uh, where John is taken up into heaven, and supposedly the church disappears in chapters 4 through 19, uh, and uh, that's supposed to be the rapture of the church because the, oh. church, the, the, the church isn't mentioned in, in, in right. um, chapter 4 and then comes 19. Out. Yeah, and I always say, well, wait a minute, the church isn't mentioned in chapters 2 and 3, chapters 1, 2, and 3 either. And so, yes, it is mentioned nine, 19 times, they'll say. No, no, it's not. It's the church in Ephesus, the church in Philadelphia. Right. But the church universal is not mentioned in those in those that's chapters. True. Yeah, and, that's true. and if if uh, chapters four through nineteen is supposed to be about Israel, how come the word Israel I think only appears once? Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you start doing that kind of counting, uh, it's it, it, it's kind of it's kind of crazy. So, but right. anyway, so. We've discussed something that is extremely controversial. I'll probably get in a lot of trouble because I'm raising questions about First Thessalonians chapter four. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to stick to the text here, and there are just a lot of unknowns in this text. Right. And there are other passages where, if you look at Ephesians chapter four, a lot of people say, "Well, what what <clears throat> is really going on? <clears throat> what is really going on?" And well, look at this. Found some water over here. What's really going on in, uh, in, in, in chapter, chapter two is, well, it's kind of, yeah, it says that we were raised up with him and we are seated with him in the heavenly places, but it really doesn't mean that. Well, you can't say that. It does mean that. It just doesn't mean that it's t- taking place physically. Right. But the effect of us being raised up with Christ and seated with him in the heavenly places is important, especially when you talk about the uh, Satan being the prince and the power of the air, there is this positional change that has taken place, I believe, because Jesus's work on the cross is finished. And what we find out to have taking place, if you look, read uh, Romans chapter 16, verse 20, says, God will soon crush Satan under your feet. 
Mm -hmm. uh, so th this, this mopping up operation is taking place between AD 30 and AD 70. All right, Gary, thanks so much for coming on the right. show. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Joel. Appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening. But real quick, before you go, do us a small favor, take a moment, and leave us a five-star review if you enjoyed the show. This is undoubtedly the best way that you can help us get this biblically faithful content to as many people as possible. Thanks so much.